Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. So it was a big weekend for our runners. We had, of course, Army 10 in the Chicago Marathon and uh, lots of runners out there in Steamtown. Just like a really big, productive, fun weekend and great weather, which we can't control, but we are so thankful when that happens. So we just wanted to give a shout out to everyone who raced this past weekend. And um, also happy one year anniversary to you because a year ago today, as you pointed out, we were in Boston for yeah. the only, hopefully the only fall, fall Boston marathon. So yeah, it was exactly a year ago, which we were just talking about. Like we can't even, couldn't even really remember like the details, like it was a blur, I think because it was off the normal schedule. So um, yeah, so one year ago today, um, and now we're looking forward to, to Boston um, for this year. One other um, you know run we did this weekend, we had a, our group run from Lululemon, which is great. We had a really good turnout and particularly from our Montgomery County Public Schools uh, faculty and staff participants, which was really nice. We uh, have coached that program, I think for seven years now, maybe more. Uh, we do it each semester and it's free to the faculty and staff from Montgomery County Public Schools. And it's always nice to, to meet those uh, those runners. So I wanted to tell you a funny story. I've been saving it all, all, all week, I guess, or since last weekend, to tell you this funny story that happened when we were leaving the, the run. Uh, I was parked not far from Lululemon and um, I was parallel parked on the street. And when I went back to my car, uh, um, a spot opened up behind me and a couple pulled into the spot behind me. And I, I was actually, truth be told, I was looking to change out of my like sweaty sports bra and I was gonna do it in my car. And I saw this car pull behind me. I thought, I'm not gonna change. And anyway, the wife, I'm assuming the wife gets out of the car, the passenger seat, and she goes, there's a UPS um, shipping store right there on the other side of the street from where I was parallel parked. And she gets out with her package and she goes into the UPS store and I assume, okay, her husband is in the car waiting for her to come back. And, you know, after she drops out the package and he then leaves the spot and he does a U-turn and he goes into this little kind of parking area next to the UPS store on the other side. So he moves the car, you know, ostensibly to pick her up on the other side of the street. So I'm sitting in my car and still contemplating, should I change? But he's kind of sitting there in that other spot, like thinking, okay, well, if I wait till they leave then maybe I can change, I'll have some privacy. Anyway, the woman comes out of the store and I see she's looking down at like some receipt she has in her hand. She walks back across the street and she walks towards my car. And I'm thinking, huh, she's going to wonder where her husband went. She doesn't, didn't see him leave. No, instead she absentmindedly reaches down to my passenger side door, opens it and gets in my car. No, no. <laughs> she's talking to me. Like, I don't remember what she's saying, but like something about lines. So like, well, they said it's going to be there by like, she's like talking to somebody. She thinks she's talking to her husband. She's not paying attention. And she starts to sit into my car and I go, Hello. And she looks at me and goes, ah, and she jumps Seriously. out of my car and goes, I'm so sorry. And she slams the door and she's looking around and I look at her husband and he is crying with tears. He watched this all unfold. He watched her come <laughs> out of the store. He watched her walk over to my car and get in my car. Try to get in my car. So I, I roll down the window and she's running away from my car and over to his. <laughs> And like yelling at him for why'd you move the car? I didn't see you. I rolled down the window. I said I like waved and laughed, and I said it's okay. You can come home with me if you want. Um, but it was just the funniest story and a good lesson. As I told my kids the story, Kira said to me, "Mommy, you should always lock your doors once you get in your car." And I said that is a really good point. You should lock your doors once you get in your car. Especially so that if was my right. change. <laughs> right. Well, I thought, what if I had changed? What if she? I was in the middle of changing, and she opened the door, and I was like, "Hello." That would have been quite. Um, 
you know, that would have been a totally different story, but it was just a funny story. So not running related, but it was related to our group run. And I thought I would share that with you on Thanks the podcast. Thanks for sharing Very that. nice lady. So if she's out there listening. I didn't get her name. I didn't get to chat with her, but if <laughs> she's out there, or if you've heard the story of the woman who got into the wrong car after going to the UPS store in downtown Crown, um, you know, tell her all, all good. So it made for a funny story for the podcast. That is great, Lisa. So um, do you want to share a couple highlights from Chicago and just, uh, I know, and Steamtown, I know we have quite a few, but maybe we share just uh, something, a banner weekend. Yeah, absolutely. It was so fun. We had a lot of fun, um, uh, you know, compared, we were texting each other as we were t- uh, tracking our runners, particularly at Chicago. Um, so it's good tracking, tracking app. So we were texting back and forth and it was an exciting morning to be tracking everyone. Um, uh, before I get to Chicago, we had a, a runner, uh, Lee Payton, um, one of our runners, a, a master's runner. He's actually in his seventies, um, I believe he's 71 now. He uh, did Steamtown Marathon and he's, he's um, not a new runner. He ran earlier in his life and then took a kind of a long break midlife and then came back to running about five or six years ago. So he's relatively new back to the marathon and has been making some steady progress. And he had a really good um, parks half marathon. So we knew he was in good shape uh, for the marathon. Um, and he, uh, you know, I think his previous, I'm trying to remember, it's probably about 356 or I think his best time before was a three in the 350s. And you know, we had thought low 350s and I, and when we talked on his race prep call before the marathon, we decided to go for sub 350 that we thought that was if he pays properly. Now, Steamtown's a really interesting course. Steamtown is down, thought of as a downhill course, and it really is downhill for about um, 18 miles of the course and particularly steep downhill for the first eight miles. And then uh, there are rolling hills at the very end that actually can really catch people, trip people up. And we've seen it happen before. Very tempting to go out too fast at Steamtown and then hit the hills at the end and, and totally fall apart. And that's just a, you know, if you look up race reports on Steamtown, you talk to people about Steamtown, they will all tell you the same thing. Um, so we really, we had worked um, toward the end of his training on hill form and just being mindful. You know, we didn't do a ton of hill work. Um, I don't think it's necessary. And we do this with Boston. It's not necessarily to run a ton of hills to be good at hills. But, you know, I, I reminded him to be mindful of his form on downhills. Um, a lot of the routes that he runs here mimicked the steam town where it'd be net downhill on the way out and then some uphills on the way back. And he did some courses that were like that just to mentally prepare him. But really, we focused on um, form and strength. And I told him the key to to, to really being um, being able to finish strong isn't necessarily your hill form of that's part of it, but it's also the pacing and people run into trouble when they just go out too fast. So, uh, you know, gave him a pacing plan, elapsed time. He stuck to it pretty darn close. And he certainly told me he, you know, we're having a, a, a debrief tomorrow, but in, in our initial conversations, he told me he definitely struggled a little on those hills, but he had paced himself well enough and held on well enough that he finished in 349. So at 71 years old, a PR, a BQ by like 30 minutes, um, you know, I think, I think even even been like an 11 minute PR. I forget the, the, all the, the stats, but a huge PR for him. And just a great example of a great race execution on a tricky course. Steamtown's a tricky course. So that was, you know, kind of the, the first news of the day, um, because that was on our time zone. Chicago is one hour behind us. So it took us a little more time to start getting the results from Chicago, uh, but another great day, uh, in Chicago and another really another 349 and another excellently executed race with Sarah Sills, one of our runners um, who actually lives locally in DC and um, has been just cutting her marathon time down, um, you know, race by race by race. She came to us last year after running her uh, first in-person marathon. She had done some virtual marathons, ran her first in-person marathon at um, New York City last year. 
And then, um, you know, we had noticed, realized pretty quickly as we started working with her, she probably had a lot of potential at the marathon distance. She ran Toronto earlier this year um, in, in 350s, which she was, you know, her only goal for Toronto was to run healthy and finish, finish, you know, injury free. And when she saw she could go under four, she kind of caught the bug and thought, well, how much faster can I go? So we targeted Chicago. She had gotten into Chicago. We decided to target a, you know, actually go for time at Chicago and uh, finished again, 349, perfectly executed race. Was interesting is that we just had our debrief call and um, Sarah brought up a really good point. Sarah did not enjoy Chicago. And Sarah, you know, has a lot of self-awareness and said that she's an introvert and she likes to, you know, run in races where she can kind of zone out and, and, and you know, listen to her body, listen to her music and, and not have to worry about a lot of people around her. And that was not the case in Chicago. She said she was in a crowd the entire time. And part of that is that she got stuck um, around the 350 pace group and it was hard to get out of that. And those pace groups can really just bunch up. And we talked to our runners about that, the benefits and drawbacks of those benefits. Uh, you can certainly draft well in a, in a pack of, of pacers, but um, she really just felt, she said she never, she felt mentally exhausted uh, you know, mid race, because it was just always thinking about, am I going to bump into somebody? Am I going to trip over somebody? Uh, really hard to follow the tangents. She added about almost a half mile to her, her marathon distance, um, by having to weave around people. Uh, you know, she had to make a quick porta potty stop, which she said she couldn't find a porta potty for a really long time. And when she did, somebody was in it, but she had to, so she had to wait. So she lost two minutes on the porta potty, but still negative split the course, still ran her last mile fastest. So we talked today about, you know, picking a different marathon in the future that caters to her, you know, what, what her comfort zone and finding a race that is a little bit smaller, still well-organized, still, you know, enough people that have some, some support, but a smaller race. So I think that's just a really good, um, uh, you know, factor for, for runners to consider is, you know, what kind of runner are you? What do you, what do you thrive? Some people thrive on big crowds and the enthusiasm and the, 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 the noise and the support and that adrenaline. And some people it, it overloads and it's not, that that's not their cup of tea. So in picking a race, that's, you know, something I think really important for, for people to consider is, is, you know, the size of the race. Yeah. Uh, one of our runners commented also about Chicago while she loved the race experience. Um, she did not like the course because for her running in this area where she runs, it was too flat and it hurt. And even though she was doing a lot of butt kicks and sort of changing up her stride a little bit, which is one of our tips in our race prep for Chicago and for any flat race to use different muscles. Uh, she just found it a little bit more painful than she expected toward the end. And that is something that um, when I ran Chicago many years ago, I too found that the repetitiveness of Chicago because it's such a flat course, while so many people really find that to be advantageous. I know for me, because I train on rolling hills, as do you, Lisa, it, it's a different feeling and it's not for everyone. So it's just something to consider. But boy, we are so grateful to um, Chicago race director, Carrie Pinkowski for coming on our podcast a few weeks ago, because it really helped a lot of runners prepare for this race. And for that, we're grateful. And we definitely attribute so many of our runners' success on that course, not only to the good weather, but also to knowing what to expect and having the inside scoop from Carrie. So that was really so great to have him on. And I also want to give a shout out to our Army 10 mile runners, including Erin Munsell. Erin came to us um, after COVID. She just felt like she was in a racing rut and really lost her racing skills. And we can, we can really understand that. That resonates with us and so many of our runners is getting back to that race environment. And she sure did in a big way and went from being really nervous to race. And we had her do a couple 5Ks just to get her racing shoes back under her. 
to going in there and running army and executing a super strong race. So we're super proud of her. And uh, also a big shout out to uh, Karen and Christine, who both ran Chicago, both had excellent races. And to your point, Lisa, um, smart pacing. We give our runners a pacing plan, but we always say to our runners, you also have to listen to your body because it's really important. We can take a prior race time, extrapolate it, look at workouts and what our runners have done and give suggested paces. But at the end of the day, if you are in your race and you start running and your goal race pace for whatever reason that day feels really hard at the beginning, that means that you have to take an assessment and say, what do I need to do right now to feel better? And that may mean to slow down a little bit, run a little bit easier. And then you can always build back up during the race. There's plenty of miles in a marathon to recalibrate. But the worst thing someone can do is stick to a race plan. Even if your body is saying otherwise, go out too fast or ignore a race plan and go out too fast. Because at the end of the day, those last six to 10 miles that will bite you. And, uh, there are plenty of marathons coming up. We know there are several people out here, listeners out there listening who have marathons coming up. So the biggest piece of advice we can give to everyone at this point, because the hay is in the barn. So many people are already trained and ready to go is really be mindful of the first quarter of your race. Do not go out too fast. Listen to your body because you will inevitably you'll pay for that later. Whereas if you go out a little slower, you will not regret it. Nobody ever says, I wish I would have gone out faster. No one ever says that. So just keep that in mind. And that's what we're seeing with our runners race results over the weekend and over the past month. Yeah. I think that's a great reminder. And especially in a race like Chicago, where there's a lot of adrenaline, it's flat. Um, so many times we hear people say, well, it felt easy. I felt fine. You know, I went out you know, 20 seconds per mile faster than I was supposed to than your plan said, but it felt fine. Well, it's all going to feel fine for 20 miles. But like you said, that last 10K is where um, you're going to feel it. And if you went out too fast, you know, you can you can um, run 20 seconds per mile faster than your goal pace for, you know, nine miles. That will earn you three minutes, right? That earned you three minutes. So the first nine miles of the course, you think nine minutes, you think great. If you have to walk even part of the last two miles of the course, you've lost it all. So, you know, it, it, as coaches, we, like you said, we kind of know where our runners are based on past race results. We know what kind of a reasonable goal that for them is. And that's why we, we lay out the pacing plan. So that's why, um, and, and like you said, no one's ever said to us, wow, I, I, I you should have gone out faster. So that's, that's, it's a, it's an easy trap to fall into, um, that, you know, oh, it feels easy. So I'm just going to stick with this easier pace or, um, you know, the, the race is 26.2 miles. If the race was only 20 miles and, you know, certainly you can do that, but it's, it's a 26.2 mile race. Um, yeah. And just a couple other shout outs, um, uh, Lauren Bolshakov, she's one of our, our Charlotte runners. We've got a whole crew of Charlotte runners and, um, Lauren hit a, about a 30 second PR, which is a little bit off. We were looking for a BQ. Um, she's on her way there. Uh, you know, Lauren had some hamstring uh, issues heading into the race that just kind of acted up a little bit, but she also, because she paced well and she started out on pace and didn't start out too fast, she held on strong and she still hit that, hit that, um, that PR, which I think is also something important to point out that, you know, don't lose sight of achievements um, in pursuit of something, you know, in, of something particular. So, you know, people go out and they say, I want to be cute. And then they, 
don't get it. And but they had a PR, they had a great, well-executed race, or they, you know, made good decisions during the race, or they handled adversity well. Like there are other gauges for success that you don't want to lose sight of when you you may put a lot of your focus uh, onto one um, particular goal. And and Deb Westfall, who I'm in awe of, she did Berlin two weeks ago, so she's done two world marathon majors in two weeks. And Deb, um, we've coached Deb for many years and Deb had all of her races canceled for years, you know, because of the pandemic and, and postponed. And we knew they were gonna all end up kind of falling into this year and she was up for it. And our goal was just get through this healthy. So we've done a lot of run walk. We've done a lot of, um, you know, just making sure that she finished healthy and she did finish healthy, feeling great. She said, it's gonna take a, a little break now and we're gonna refocus on some on some goals for, for 2023 on some speed and uh, some other goals. But uh, it's so great to see her finally. I just, I remember distinctly this so much disappointment every time a race was canceled and every time she couldn't, you know, when she couldn't get to Berlin last year and um, every time we were excited for a race and we worked for it and then we'd find out it was canceled. And so uh, at the beginning of this year, she said 2022 is the, like the year of the comeback. This is the year I'm gonna get back to all those races. And, and that's what it's been. And to see her get through the year healthy and, and achieving her goals is, is really great too. So, you know, all different sorts of goals out on the courses this weekend. And it was just nice to see um, everyone really um, achieve those goals. And, and uh, everyone seemed to be really, I think the weather certainly helped. Everyone had, we had good weather this weekend. So that certainly helped, but, you know, new course records or American records being set. Like, it's just, it's a really, uh, you know, there, recently, um, you know, I watched the um, live stream of the Ironman uh, World Championships this this week as well, the kind of the live stream that came through. And there were course records broken there. I think it was the top four men all broke the course record at, at Ironman World Championships. Um, there was a uh, one hour, um, in the cycling world, there was a one hour, um, there's a one hour track record. So it's like basically how much mileage you can cover in one hour on a track. And that will, that, that record was broken this weekend. Um, you know, our American female record marathon record was broken this weekend. It feels like, I don't know what it is, but it feels like we're in a really amazing time where, where people are achieving more. I know we've got gear that's good. You know, got a lot of technology and a lot of gear that's helping, but just to see across the board through triathlon and cycling and running all of these records being broken. It's, I think, I find it really inspiring and exciting. It's super exciting. And um, I also was just super inspired by women supporting women. And when Emily Sisson broke the world record, it wasn't like Kira D'Amato was upset about that. I mean, broke the American record. It wasn't like Kira D'Amato was upset about that. She was really excited about that, as was, of course, Joan, Bono Joan Benoit Samuelson. It's women supporting women. And when we support each other, we can do even better versus thinking of each other as competitors, we lift each other up and we can achieve so much more. And I just found that to be super inspiring and shoes help. Absolutely. We are in a time when uh, super shoes are making a difference in running. And, and certainly when you are hitting times where you're looking to gain seconds, those shoes make a huge difference. Um, but in terms of amateur runners like you and I, it's inspiring because we can see that you can hit goals even when you are doing other things. I mean, I think it's, we've talked about this before. I love that Kira D'Amato and Sarah Vaughn are realtors as well as professional runners. I think it serves them well. They don't have all their eggs in one basket. It, it makes them more human. And of course, uh, both of them are moms too. And it's just, it's just super inspiring. And I, I want to go back to your point, Lisa, and just to reiterate it. And that is that I really love what you said about not always um, thinking that a race is only successful if it's a PR, BQ, or something like that. Because the reason a PR is special is because it's a personal record. 
record, meaning you're not going to get that every time you run a race. And if we are all towing a start line with that always being the goal, it can be quite discouraging. So what I, I greatly appreciate about so many of our runners is they are looking not just at their time goals, but they're also looking at their execution goals, their process goals. And so many of our runners come to us and say, you know, one of my big goals is to go through a training cycle and not be injured. And, and when that happens, and of course we can't control that sometimes things happen, but that is a huge achievement. And dare I say a bigger achievement sometimes than, than an actual PR, because when you go through a marathon training cycle where it, you are putting your body through so much and you come out of that healthy and able to then jump into another type of cycle, whether marathoning or something shorter, which is what we recommend after a marathon training cycle. It's really a, a huge, huge accomplishment in and of itself. So I just wanted to reiterate that. And I just also want to talk about for a moment to all of those who just finished goal marathons, what to do now. And uh, basically here's what not to do. Uh, don't run a lot. Uh, your muscles, your tendons, your ligaments need recovery. Walking is a great way to promote recovery. So is gentle cycling. So is swimming, gentle swimming, any type of cross training, but running is done. Even if it's super easy, just give your body and your mind a break from running, take off time. And even if, um, peers, tend to be the type that really feel like after a week, they can jump back into a run. Try not try something different this time and allow your body even more time to absorb all of that training and all of that work because stress plus rest equals growth. And if we can rest and recover after a big marathon training cycle and really honor our body and give our bodies that much more time to recover and rest, then that's going to cause growth for the next training cycle. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. Um, so let's turn it over to our, our interview for today. And, uh, and we, I, I actually, I did this one by myself. I think you were, apparently we were doing that <laughs> a while ago, but you, you had, oh, you had a meeting, I think. So uh, I, I got to do this interview on my own, but it was a, a really a, a pleasure um, to talk to Scott Abbott. Scott is the executive, executive director uh, this uh, California International Marathon, CIM. And um, it's really, uh, he's also a very accomplished runner. He um, you know, ran as, as a, as when, in, when he was younger in high school, he ran at UCLA. Um, he's an experienced marathoner. Uh, he has run Boston. Um, and he is just, um, you know, what's really unique about CIM is that, um, you know, it's a, it's a race put on um, by runners, for runners. There's a big focus on, um, on, on the marathon itself. They've really resisted um, adding any other uh, extraneous events to the, to the weekend. And they are, are focused also on, on creating the most conducive uh, environment and atmosphere uh, for fast times. So everything they do is really focused on how can we get runners to run, run their best times, whether that's world record time or whether that's, you know, the, the person who's trying to be cute or whether that's somebody who's running their first marathon and they just want them to have, you know, achieve their potential. Um, so it was really a, a pleasure to talk to him. He uh, got me excited about CIM. I know I got off the interview and called you and said, okay, CIM next year, that's going to be my fall marathon for, for next year. So um, uh, I think we might make a business trip out there. I think that that's that seems to be a necessity now. Uh, so uh, it was just great to talk to him. I know we have um, you know, a lot of listeners who are running CIM. We have a lot of runners who pick CIM because it's a fast course. And he's got a lot of really great insight into um, strat for strategy, into the course, into logistics um, that we hope everyone finds helpful. 
For sure. And I really loved how excited you were after you talked to Scott. And um, yeah, it sounds like we might be doing some type of live podcast out there next year, which um, I'm super pumped about and would love to be your Sherpa at CIM. I do not plan on running a fall marathon next year, but I would be delighted to be your Sherpa and support you. And uh, I think it would be super fun. So we're committing to it, Lisa. We're doing it. We're doing it. Putting it out here on the podcast. So yes, I, I would like that. I think that would be great. So it would be a good uh, girls weekend too. A lot of fun. 100%. Awesome. All right, Lisa. Well, uh, thanks again for taking that interview. And here is Scott Abbott. I hope you have a great week. Hope you have a great week. Bye, Julie. Bye. Scott Abbott, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, glad to be here. Well, as, as I mentioned, uh, California International Marathon, or we call it CIM, is um, on our list of, of races to do. And even though we're out on the East Coast, it is a big, very popular race, um, not only on the West Coast, but all the way out here. We have a lot of runners who come out to run it and a lot of our running buddies here in our running community, um, Target CIM. So we're excited to have you on, learn more about the race, but I'd love to hear first about you. You've got a really um, great and very accomplished background as a runner and a running coach. So why don't you um, tell us and our listeners a little bit about how you got into running and how you got to where you are today? Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying it's accomplished, uh, background. I, I don't think of it that way, but I, I've really enjoyed being a part of the sport for, uh, you know, now it's going on, you know, close to 30 years, you know, um, and, uh, I, I stumbled into the sport in high school, like many other people. Um, you know, I was, I'm someone who loved sports growing up. I just, any, I would, I played all sports, uh, and, um, just was obsessed with sports and, uh, but I was on the smaller side. And, uh, when I got to high school, you know, I, 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 you know, it, it turned out to be just the sport that, you know, I felt like I could continue to compete in, uh, you know, physically, uh, and, uh, kind of found my way into the sport and just loved it. As soon as I found my way into it, um, I was fortunate to be a part of a great, um, program out here. Uh, I grew up here in Sacramento and I went to high school here in Sacramento and I was part of a great, uh, just lucky that the high school I went to had one of the most renowned cross country programs in the country. Uh, a great, a great coach, uh, coach Walt Lang. And he's the one that really stoked my fire for the sport. Uh, I just love the purity of it. Um, just, it was the first time where I saw, Oh, Hey, if I, if I work as hard as I want, I can be as good as I want. And nothing else is going to hold me back from that. And so I was fortunate to be part of some great teams. Um, and that took me, you know, to uh, probably created a platform being a part of some great teams. Uh, you know, I even I ran with, you know, some great high school runners. One of them went on to run in the Olympics, um, who actually lives out your way now in the D.C. area. Uh, and uh, then, you know, that that created a platform for me probably to get looks from colleges that I probably didn't deserve to get to. And, but, but I was able to fortunately be able to run in college and run for um, uh, UCLA uh, and had a great four years running for UCLA was captain of the cross country team there and just was able to continue in the sport. Uh, luckily, you know, I kind of always felt somewhat like an imposter, I guess at times, but uh, it was, it was, it was a great opportunity. And then, you know, after that, uh, that was probably the end of the road for my competitive running uh, at, at a serious level because uh, I was I was I was always in a little over my head there. But, uh, you know, that transitioned into coaching. And, uh, you know, you mentioned it, that I was able to keep going in the sport that I loved uh, through coaching 
uh, coached for about 15 years at the high school and college level um, and really enjoyed that. Uh, allowed me to stay in the sport, but it also made me recognize something else I really enjoyed, which was uh, really working with young people and uh, finding an opportunity to create impact uh, in their lives, um, you know, through sport. And that was, that was, uh, you know, a, a great, uh, uh, you know, just a great chapter of my life in, in coaching, uh, you know, coach the high school and the collegiate level. Um, and then, uh, you know, then that allowed me to kind of transition to my next chapter of life, which is where I'm at now, which is the Sacramento Running Association. As I got a family of my own, uh, my kids started growing up. Uh, coaching became very, very challenging in terms of the time commitment away from home, especially at the college level. Uh, and so uh, I was really fortunate that um, I live in a city in Sacramento here where we have this robust, uh, you know, running culture. Uh, we have an organization like the Sacramento Running Association that puts on the event, California International Marathon that you referenced. Um, and that just allowed me to stay in the sport and find a way to combine my passion with my profession. Uh, and, uh, so I've been lucky every step of the way that this activity of running that I've stumbled into at, you know, 14 years old, I've been able to kind of carry through my life all the way up to now 44 years old. Isn't it great to be able to do something that you love every day and and take advantage of that passion and 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 call that your work? I think that's uh, what Julie and I have discovered as running coaches as well. Uh, that that's you know when you love what you do and you're passionate about it, it doesn't really feel like work. So that's that's amazing. So before we get to um, Sacramento Running Association and CIM, um, you're in a comp. You you said you ended your your competitive days after college, but you you've had you from what I understand, you're still. I mean, you ran Boston several years yeah. ago. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's I, I guess I still, I'm still out there hacking with, with everybody, you know, I, I cause I love it. Just like, you know, just like, and that's, what's beautiful about our sport is it really, it doesn't matter. You know, you're really out there competing against yourself and, and just trying to get better. And as you get older, one of the nice things our sport has provided is these age groups. So as you get older and get slower, you know, it provides another platform for you to achieve. And, um, you know, yeah, I've continued running. We've got, as I said, a really vibrant running culture here in Sacramento and in the Northern California area. We've got a great club scene. I've been able to be a part of a, a, a master's club and, and it's really kind of continued what we love about the sport. There's, there's, you know, obviously the personal, uh, achievement side, but also really the social side that the sport has brought so many great people into my life. And, and now kind of running with my club, I've got some guys that, we run with and, and we still try to get out there and, and, and um, um, you know, push ourselves to our limits, which are a lot lower than they used to be. But, you know, yeah, I was able to qualify for the Boston Marathon, um, you know, because that was a bucket list of mine. Uh, and then when I turned 40, my wife and I decided that would be something we could do for our 40th birthdays. We we qualified for Boston. We went out and ran at Boston and it, it was in 2018. Uh, oh. <laughs> you guys, most people probably listen to the podcast that are fans of Boston know that that was a, a notorious year. Uh, so for my one time running Boston, I got the full Monty of uh, of everything it had to offer. Um, but that if was you also can do that. You can do anything. We always say yeah, if you get yeah, around Boston yeah. in 2018, you really can, can do anything. I uh, totally, but we did our, our master's club. We won the master's championship that year, which was, which was super fun. It was, uh, that was just kind of enduring that, that storm, uh, and, and then coming out on the other end and finding out that we, we had, you know, kind of basically had the only three guys standing, I think that day <laughs> <laughs> we ended up winning the Boston club. So that was kind of a fun little, uh, uh, you know, accomplishment. That's a huge uh, 
huge accomplishment. That is, you're very, yeah. you're very modest. That's a, that's a big accomplishment for Boston. Yeah. So, so that's exciting. Now, have you run CIM? Have you run the CIM course? You know, that's a good question. I actually, I actually have. I mean, my joke every year when people, hey, you're running CIM, I go, no, I run CIM, so everybody else can <laughs> run, run it's CIM. Like, right. But I actually did when I was, um, you know, 22 years old, right out of college. It was the first marathon I'd run, and then the only marathon I'd run until um, I qualified for Boston at age 40. So uh, wow. I kind of went, uh, you know, when I finished up my college running career, I recognized I didn't really know where, you know, where my life was going to go at that point and said, hey, I should probably just run a marathon here, you know, check it off the list in case I, you know, stop running. Um, and so I, I, you know, came back home uh, for the holiday and, and, and ran CIM when I was home. I was totally unprepared for a marathon at that point, uh, you know, I, I'd been running college cross country, but hadn't been doing the long runs needed. Didn't know anything about fueling or hydration. And I just kind of made my way through it. Uh, but it was so fun to be a part of our local marathon uh, in in the town, you know, the city that I grew up in um, and get a chance to do that. So then when I went back to, to, you know, work for this organization and put on that event, I could at least say, hey, I've run this event once. And so, so yes, I have and, and uh, run the marathon. So, so that's a good segue into the marathon. So how has CIM changed over the years? How is it? I'm obviously I'm guessing numbers, but you know, from when you ran it back, you know, however many 20 over 20 years ago to now, how is it, how has it changed over the years? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's changed the way the industry has changed. I mean, everything has gotten, the production has gotten so much higher. Um, and the, uh, um, uh, kind of commitment to the participant experience has just elevated. And we see that across the industry. Uh, it's great. I mean, the, the the boom that was injected into this industry kind of just after that, I ran it in 2000. And then just kind of in the early 2000s, kind of that half marathon boom that brought a lot of corporate, uh, you know, entities into our industry, uh, really kind of expanded uh, what, what, what the expectation was for uh, you know, uh, a, a mass participation running experience and CIM has really kind of grown with that. But the unique thing about CIM is it's really kind of held a little bit of um, that um, that runner's race um, uh, uh, vibe to it, where uh, it's really tried over the years to kind of maintain a little of its history to be a race for runners, by run, put on by runners, uh, rather than, you know, a major kind of corporate entity or, um, you know, a uh, uh, kind of more of a, a more about the fun and more about the uh, the the uh, uh, the general uh, festivity of of a, of a mass running event and really kind of tried to stay at its core, a runner's race. And uh, so I say, you know, even though a lot has changed in our industry, CIM has done a good job of really trying to stay true to its roots right as a community race so that's interesting to me because in in especially even out here on the east coast cim has taken on a real um you know there's an aura about cim it's known it's well known so there are a lot of marathons out there that are like you're describing put on by a local running association and they're they're great and they you know they're successful but how do you think cim has kind of taken that next step to become sort of an internationally uh you know reputable and and one that you know, people travel to do how do, how has how has cim done that or how has you know the sacramento running association done that for yeah. cim you know i, I don't have a, an easy answer to that i mean it's a multi a multitude of variables you know and and some are are things that you know i'd love for our organization to be able to take credit for but some are just you know happenstance we're we're fortunate that sacramento um 
is in uh, a top the topography is 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 great. It's it's relatively flat city. Uh, the designers of our course historically recognized that there was an opportunity to not only have a flat marathon, but create a point to point marathon that had a little bit of a net downhill, not a massive net downhill where you get one of these ones where you're screaming down a mountain that blows up your quads. But one that, you know, over the course of 26 miles, basically is relatively flat with some rolling hills through the first half and then just kind of a really flat last half where uh, people can really race it. So, um, you know, our topo topography helps us. Um, the fact that in December uh, in Northern California, you can run a marathon where the rest of the country, it's very challenging that time of year to, to have a marathon. We're guaranteed to have cool weather. I mean, and that's, and that's a biggest challenge. I mean, sometimes people don't want to be cold as we talked about the 2018 CIM or I'm sorry, 2018 Boston. But at the end of the day, from a performance standpoint, the worst thing you can have is hot, humid, high temperatures. The best thing you can have are cool temperatures. We're guaranteed to have nothing higher than about 60 degrees. And so that is just optimal running temperature. So those are things that are just more fortunate here in Sacramento that in December we're guaranteed cool weather or we know we have a flat course. So that in and of itself, um, you know, it are, are two great factors um, that I think people are drawn to. Uh, but I think the other is, is kind of what we, you, you and I just talked about a little bit that, you know, there is a recognition that CIM is a race that is put on by a running association. There is a, a, a core um, value that uh, we hold true, which is that it is about a performance. It's a performance focused running event. And everything that we do in terms of putting on that race is about uh, creating a platform for achievement for for runners, not just about, hey, getting people, you know, through the streets. And, you know, it's it's about, hey, how can we uh, create an optimal environment? Because we recognize we have these, these assets in terms of the weather and the course that, hey, let's double down on those and make sure it's a place where people can come and really achieve their goals. And we know how much work everyone puts into to run a marathon kind of went through that in 2018. You know, I prepared for Boston. Boston's such a great race, but but, you know, I was all in, did, did all the training, was ready to go. And then we just got crushed with, you know, obviously conditions that didn't allow for me to be able to execute, you know, all that training I'd done. And we recognize that we are fortunate that we have, you know, things that allow for the people to be able to perform well. So we want to make sure that it, it that 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 people can come here and, and have great performances. And so then kind of but doing that year in and year out, I think there's been a recognition that hey, that's a place where you can go if you're serious about your performance, you're going to be able to go and you're going to be able to run the time you want to run. Um, and so um that just kind of has grown over the years. And 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 I think that um, through our organization, but then also through the assets that we have, it's really created this great platform for achievement. And then once you get that, it comes a little bit like a prisoner's dilemma. You know, everybody wants to come there to run fast because they know other people are coming there to run fast. And then you get there and you just get these huge packs of people that are there kind of trying to do a lot of the same things that you're trying to do. Uh, and it becomes a watering hole for performance running. So, um, you know, uh, so some of it is, is is stuff that we do, but then a lot of it is just that reputation that brings a lot of people to the same place. And that's maybe more valuable than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what do you do? What do you, do you feel as a race that you do to help runners hit those goals? And in, in addition to obviously having the good conditions and the good course, but, and you, you, you alluded to, you know, the big packs and we know our runners that have come out or shooting for three hours, or they say, it's like, 
a ton of people running, you know, three hours. So what has, as a, as a race, do you feel like you've done to kind of um, set the stage for, for somebody who's coming to, to have a good race and a, and a fast race? I think it's a lot of little things, you know, I think that we, you know, will always when we're faced with a decision about what to, you know, about a service that we want to provide or maybe not provide anymore. The first question we ask, ask ourselves is, hey, how is this going to affect the performance runners participant experience? And um, but we've done things historically. We were one of the first races to have pace teams. And we we we, we started that way back well, long before me. Um, and, and our pace teams aren't just general people that we bring in to hold a sign. These are people that we, you know, are trained, that are trained and are in our network and that we work with very closely for many, many years. They know our course really well. They're, they're, most of them are very accomplished ultra runners. So they, they, their ability to execute a pace, you know, it, you know, we're, we're very selective about our pace teams. So we've got great pace teams and it's a very systematic uh, pace team system that we got. They've got multiple pacers and the whole thing. Our, our pace teams are phenomenal. So that's an, one big thing that that we do. I know a lot of races have pacers, but I feel like our pace team is among the best in the business. Um, and uh, I think a lot of things we do out at the start in terms of our corral systems and stuff, we we really allow people to be self-seated so that people can get where they want to get to. That really kind of creates packs and people that want to run rather than forcing people into certain crowds. We we set aside a lot of space for different of the perform. We don't just kind of dump, hey, everybody who wants to run faster than 330 here. We really coordinate down. We've got a sub 250 corral, a, a sub three hour corral, a sub 310 corral, a sub three, you know, so we really try to create those segments. And I think a lot of races just go, hey, anybody who's generally fast here and then everybody else here, we really try to, uh, you know, cordon that out. Um, I also think that we have great on course, uh, uh, we, we, we go above and beyond on, on the on course. We have 17 aid stations. We have four different fueling stations in addition to the hydration stations out there. So the products that we offer on course, we're trying to create that optimal, uh, you know, those optimal, uh, services for, if you're trying to run fast, we want you to have everything you need out there rather than like, you know, hey, I, I'd like to, but there wasn't enough gels and I bonked, you know, we we just want to make sure. So we go above and beyond on that kind of stuff. And I think the other thing that we do, which unfortunately uh, is a shame in, in, in our industry, um, is that we've stayed committed to uh, of, of facilitating elite running. You know, we've worked hard uh, to find the budgets to continue to support uh, professional running. Um, it doesn't make sense for the bottom line. And that's why it's gone away for a lot of events. We're one of the few events that still really commits to that. Um, this year, we're hosting the United States Marathon Championships. We've upped our prize purse to facilitate that. But I also think that that sort of uh, is the, the catalyst for everything that happens behind that. You've got elite runners, then you've got sub elite runners that are kind of trying to run with those elite runners. They recognize it's a good place to come because there's going to be good professional field. And then, you know, off of that, you know, you, you know, you get the, uh, you know, kind of the, 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 uh, comments tail behind that of, of all those, uh, sub performance groups. Uh, and so I think that that commitment at the front of the race gives us this authentic, adds to the authenticity of, Hey, that's a place to come running fast because, you know, there are pros there running fast. The U S marathon championships are there. So I think that part of it, we, yes, it leans into who we are as a race, 
but it also is part of our commitment as a nonprofit to really support the sport of running um, rather than just the activity of it. That's great. And how do, how do you do that? Do you get sponsors? Do you get, I mean, how, how do you fund that? Because that's expensive. And I think that's probably, I think a lot of races think it's a lot of money for a few runners, but like you just mentioned, it has a trickle down effect, but how, how do you fund it? Uh, all of the above, yes, sponsors, but but more than anything, we're a nonprofit. So at the end of the day, everything we make on an event, it goes, goes right back into the event. And that allows us to do things like elite running, but it also allows us to maybe spend a little bit more money on certain things uh, that enhance the participant experience. And I think that's really important for your listeners out there. You know, races that are put on by running associations that are nonprofits, one, it's just great to support those. Uh, but two, you're you're more likely to get a better participant experience because the decisions, you know, we're not trying to get rich off this race. We're trying to make the race as good as it possibly can be. So any money we can make on the event goes right back into the event. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's a big part of it is I think a lot of races, if they chose not to be profitable, could still support elite running. Um, but it's and that's a problem with our sport in general. It shouldn't be reliant on race organizers to facilitate the sport of running. We need we would need to do a better job of that. You know, I think our 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 sport in general from a pres- professional standpoint needs to do a better job of that. But until that happens, we recognize that we've got a responsibility. We know that elite running um, is is part of our history, uh, and there's a lot of runners' livelihoods that count on it. And we like to be, you know, one of those uh, stopping points for them along the way. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I think especially kind of with the proliferation of races that have been taken over by for-profit organizations, I think you raise a really good point. That's something important to look at when you're choosing a race. Is it is it a for-profit organization? Is it a not-for-profit organization? And like you said, you know, when you're runners or putting something together for runners, you tend to get a, a better experience because that's the, the bottom line is what's the experience going to be like for the runners? So uh, I think that's a really good point. And to that point, you know, like I said, we use our whatever money we make on the race to put back into the race. If you come run CIM, you you now have effectively supported these elite runners too. like essentially the profits we're making off of each of you is what supports there. So if you're excited about that, you can recognize that that's a little badge of honor for you that, hey, a portion of my registration money went to supporting elite running. And, and, uh, you know, I think that's another, you know, if you're running races where you see that there's a prize purse and there's professional running going on, recognize that you, you played a role in that you helped that happen. Um, and instead of going into, you know, the, the profits of a, of, a, of a corporate company, it's going into, you know, professional runners pockets. And so I think that that's another, you know, key, key point for people to remember out there. Yep. And that benefits all of us as runners when you elevate yep. the running yep. community as a whole. That, that's yeah. And it's one of the fun things about our sport. I mean, there are very few other sports where you're towing the line, essentially. You know, that's one of the you know, fun things about CIM is being there at the starting line and seeing, hey, you've got professional runners here, that this is an important piece of their livelihood. All the way back, they're lined up with people that are just trying to run their first marathon, maybe trying to change, you know, their personal health. Uh, you know, have personal health goals or, 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 or whatever, you know, a million reasons why, and they're all lined up together, going from the same line in the ground to the 26 miles later, another line in the ground, they're all kind of engaging in the same activity. Um, and that's a really cool vibe. Our sports were the only ones that has that. Um, and I know the elite runners have said that, that they even 
enjoy that aspect of it, that they that they stand at the front of the start line and they know there's 10,000 people behind them that are all trying to do the same thing, just as nervous as them. And there's just as much on the line for them um, as the people behind them. And so uh, I think that's a really unique thing about our sport. Yeah, that's I think what we, we love about the sport is that, you know, like you, you said, when you got into the sport originally, it was something that, you know, you did for yourself, you competed against yourself, you could see the gains if you put in the work. And that's like you said, something that um, is is unique to I, I think unique to our sport and really, really a great, a great part of our sport and builds a community. So I think that's great. I'm um, just going back to something you mentioned a little bit, like what what is the nutrition on course? You mentioned, you know, all the hydration stations and nutrition. What are you using this year on course? Yeah, you know, and we always value ourselves to be working with best in class partners on that, you know, and, and sometimes we've turned down other partners that we just didn't feel like were the best fit for our performance runners. Again, so we always uh, we feel good about the partners we're rolling out uh, and we work with Goo Energy Labs for all our fueling on course. So and they do a great job. They provide gels. They provide chews. Uh, and then they also provide Stroopwafels uh, so that there's just a, a variety of different things for our runners on course, then we also try to put fruit out there as well. So again, it's not just, Hey, get, you know, one spot on course and there's a gel. We at four different spots on course, we're providing gels, chews, waffles, and fruit, um, to just to provide people different, uh, you know, uh, different options for them. Uh, and then we also work with noon hydration, uh, noon, noon, um, we, we were one of the first races to bring noon on board uh, in there. And we've worked, we've actually worked really closely with their team uh, over the years. They've been an awesome partner. They've been, they've really grown in our sport, similarly to, to goo. Uh, they, and I think similar to who we are, they recognize their core customer is a, a performance runner uh, and they've developed a product called noon endurance uh, really built around our event going back, you know, almost seven, eight, nine years now. Um, and that adds a little bit of caloric, uh, um, a little bit of calories to their electrolyte product that they were kind of known for having a, a zero calorie uh, noon sport, but then they've developed all these different things. And noon endurance is one of the things that they, uh, you know, use at our race. And it, I think it's a great addition because it adds a little fueling element to the hydration uh, but it also allows them to, it allows participants to separate the two, you know, um, you know, not being overly caloric, uh, you know, it's, so I think it's a really good uh, uh, mashup of things that we have between the noon hydration and the goo products out on course. Yep, and good. again, there's 17 different aid stations. That's, you know, one every mile and a half and late in the race are down to about a mile uh, apart. So it really provides, you know, you know, every opportunity uh, for, for, for you to be successful. Yeah, that's a, that's great. And it's good to know we always tell our runners practice with what's on course. So practice with new products, practice with new yep. endurance before you before you go out there. But then they don't have to carry it with them. It's all it's all on the course for them and yep. very regular intervals. Um, so that's great. So let's talk about the course. A little, you know, you talked about a little bit before, but um, what do you think is, you know, what's the most challenging part of the course? What tips do you have for runners that are coming out to run a strategy on the course other than our, you know, typical strategy, which is not go out too fast, but what, what are your tips for, for the course? Well, honestly, the, you, you laugh about that, but, but that is the most important strategy. And, and even though, and I'm sure, you know, you've worked with runners, uh, you know, it, it, it seems to still happen no matter what. So it is, I mean, I will start with that. Don't go out too fast. And I think on our course, um, it's even more important. Um, our first mile, everyone's makes a big deal out of us having a net downhill course. Well, it, they, that, that can be a misnomer that people think, oh, it's a downhill course. It's not. It's actually the first mile is a big net downhill. 
similar to Boston, uh, where you get a lot of downhill early. And then after that, there's like some rolling hills uh, that people are kind of shocked by. Um, and then really what makes our course special, or I think unique, is that you can really race the back half. The back half is flat as a pancake. So if you've set yourself up well, um, and you're ready to race when you get to miles 16 and beyond those final 10 miles, you can have a phenomenal day. We've seen people PR in the last half of the race for a half marathon because they've really set themselves up well. They get excited and they're able to just roll. Um, but the only way to do that is you got to check down early. Um, and the problem is, you know, you're juiced, the, all the excitement, all the energy at the start, and you get a downhill first mile, it can get people rolling a little quick. And then once you get rolling quick, it's hard to kind of back off of that. You're like, well, hey, I feel good. So I'm just going to keep rolling with this. And then you don't have, you don't start paying the bills on that, as you know, as a coach until mile 16, 17, 18, 19. And then it's like, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't have run those first few miles. Um, so my biggest, you know, um, thing would be just whatever feels right in the first mile, slow down from that. And you'll probably still be too fast, you know? And, and so you really got to check down and that's why those pace teams are really important. You find your pace teams. Our pacers are phenomenal. Get behind those pacers, not on them, get behind them. And then you can kind of run your way up into the pace group. And then you start moving pretty well when you get into that back half, especially if you're kind of moving up on the pace group that you want to run with. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing being just, you know, really manage that first 5k, check down all that excitement, try to bottle that up as much as possible. And then you get some, a, a, a fairly challenging rolling section from miles, you know, maybe, uh, three or four to about mile 10 or 11, you know, there's a section of there's 10, 10 kilometers in there where there's some pretty good rolling Hills that, that I think shock a lot of people that come here and think, Oh, I heard it's a fast, flat course. And it's like, no, no, it's not. What's fast and flat is our back half. And so people that have managed that first half well and can race that second half just have great days. And, and some of our elite athletes, they talk about that they've never been more sore than they have after CIM. And, and which is strange because we don't have a challenging course. But the reason is, is because they've never been in an environment where they can really race the final five kilometers, race the final 10 kilometers. A lot of times those final 10K, you're just kind of hanging on and getting through it. But at our course, if you've run well, you can really race that final 10K and you can, you know, that takes a toll on your body when you're really going to the well at the back end of a marathon. So as far, as far as tips go, managing our course, it's just recognizing that it's not a flat and fast course. It's not just downhill start to finish. Um, it's, uh, you know, a net downhill early rolling hills kind of through that, uh, first to second, third, and then fat at flat, flat and fast to finish. And that's really where you make your money. Uh, and, and big PRs come is, is your ability to really race those final 10 miles. Yeah, that is really helpful and a great reminder. And we always tell runners that, but it, particularly in a race like this, where you can race that, that second half, if you, if you're smart about the first half. And I think what you said about the, you know, adrenaline at the beginning and it feels good. And you think like, oh no, this feels good, but your body's not prepared for that. And I think in a race like CIM where there are a lot of fast runners and you get swept into maybe a faster group. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like um, the pace groups, are the pace groups 10 minutes apart? Is that how? Uh, we put them at every Boston qualifying oh, mark. Great. So there, every Boston qualifying mark, we have a, a, a pacer. And then we also fill in the gap. So it's actually more like every five minutes, you know, we've got a lot of pacers out there. It changes as you get later, you know, we have a bigger gap, like I think between four hours and 420. But but ultimately, every Boston qualifying mark, 
um, is there plus some in-between ones. And so sometimes I even suggest start with the pace group behind the one you want to finish with. Just start with them. That gets you into a good rhythm, gets you feeling good, and then go run your way up into that next pace group um, over the back half of the race. And if you do that, you, you know, I think that alone is, you know, the best strategy right there. That's a great, great tip. Great strategy. What about spectators? What if people have family coming? Is it a spectator friendly course and it's point to point? How do, how, what's the best way to spectate? That's the biggest challenge. I mean, I think a point to point course, as much as it's great for the runners, uh, it, it can be a challenge for spectating, especially if you're not from Sacramento and you don't really know your way around. Uh, you know, obviously we, we clog up the streets, we go through like a, a main central vein of, uh, the city. So it makes it difficult to move around. Um, if you're just trying to follow one runner, um, you know, you definitely can probably, if you're, if you're, you know, if you plot it out properly, you could probably see them three times before the finish, which isn't bad. Um, but typically I would, I would, I would try to, you know, encourage people not to get too, too risky and maybe pick a spot or two out on the course and then make time to, to, to where you can get to the finish because, you know, just parking downtown and making your way into the finish festival and all that kind of stuff takes some time. And, and if, if you don't want to miss the finish, uh, then don't get too risky with trying to see anybody, you know, after mile 20. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you could get to the halfway point, that's always an easy spot, a uh, great spot to, to spectate from. Uh, there's a spot about mile, mile, mile 10 is really nice. Uh, a spot to get to it's right off the freeway um and then uh, mile six is not too bad um so there's a, there's a few spots you just gotta kind of pick one side of the course or the other you either be on the south side of the course or the north side of the course and then you kind of can just leapfrog along um but but again if you anything after 20 you're probably going to miss the finish uh and even then depending on how fast your runner is even 20 could be a risk so um but yeah i mean it's it's one of the nice things neat things about the, the race is it, it being point to point uh, is it, it really kind of, you know, literally and figuratively kind of uh, connects our community start and, and Sacramento is a unique place. And it's really like um, uh, an amalgam of neighborhoods more than it is like a, a sense of place, like where there's one, you know, downtown core. I mean, we do have a nice downtown, but really Sacramento is this amalgam of neighborhoods. And this race, as it kind of winds its way through, really kind of connects a lot of those neighborhoods. And all of these neighborhoods really come out and really try to support the race. So it's a lot of fun for the runners as they kind of move through the different parts of our community. Uh, they all, they all, people are all out there trying to su support the race along the way and, 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 and bridge people from, you know, Folsom, where the race starts all the way down to Sacramento. Yeah. So what is the spectator? Is there a good amount of spectator support along? Are there certain pockets that are? Yeah, more... there's, yeah, there's, there's definitely some pockets that are quiet, but I, I do what you, I do think that what you see that's unique is a lot of these people, the course is unchanged for almost 40 years now. So there are people out there who for 40 years, it's like, Hey, this race has been going in front of my, my house and they're out there and they've got cheer zones going. I mean, it's definitely not a Boston type of thing, or, you know, or New York where people are six, seven deep, but there is a good steady flow of people from start to finish. There aren't a lot of lonely stretches out there uh, because we are running through communities all on the way. We, we don't use country roads as much as we maybe like to, because the expense is now getting so high to close all these roads. Um, you know, we've really valued by staying on the same course, but also we recognize it's something that connects our community and people value having the race run through their neighborhoods. And um, so there is a good crowd. I will say as you get to the back half and it gets a little later in the morning because we start pretty early at 7 a.m. As you get into the back half, 
um, especially as you get into what we call East Sac, Midtown and Downtown. Those are the final five or six miles. Um, you get a lot of people out there and that is a, a, a great hero's welcome for for our runners as they really get down into that downtown core. There's a lot of people out there. The brunch crowd starts coming out and um, and it's a really fun. And so, again, that goes back to if you put yourself in a position where you're running well and you've still got something left in the tank, you can really feed off of that coming home and really enjoy uh, that excitement of those final five or six miles through the downtown core. That's great. That sounds awesome. How many runners are you expecting this year? Uh, we were, we're sold out again. Um, and so, uh, we kind of predict that that's going to put us at probably about 9,000 to 10,000 runners on our start line. We're basically a marathon only. We do have a marathon relay, a two person relay where you can kind of each person can split the race in half. We only allow 500 teams in there. And again, that's about protecting the marathon. Um, we want the marathon to be our signature event. We we really I, I I give a lot of credit to our board and the history that we've had. We 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 kind of fought the urge to add a half marathon or any undercard events because they always wanted to feature the marathon. Um, and I think that's another thing about why our marathon has been super successful uh, because you know we have held that as the premier event. We don't have a lot of half marathoners out there that our marathoners are having to weave through or run with. Um, it's all marathoners on that start line, uh, with the exception of, you know, we about 500 relay teams that we allow out there, but the rest of it is we save as many spots as we can for our marathoners. So we expect there to be about 10,000 marathoners, somewhere between nine and 10. Um, we're actually a pretty high attrition rate, which is interesting. Um, and it goes back to us being a performance focused race. People come to CIM to run fast. And if they're for something goes wrong in their training and it's not their day, you know, or, or training hasn't been there they won't come and run. They're not going to, you know, uh, sometimes they might even have us as a, Hey, I want to see how I do at Chicago or New York. And if it doesn't go well, Hey, I always know CIMs, uh, in case of emergency break glass thing, you know? Um, and, um, you know, so we have a lot of people, you know, so we've had to really kind of massage that over the years where we have to accept a lot more reg. Cause we know a lot of people don't show up to our race because it, you know, if it's not, the right fit perfect for the conditions right now training conditions. or the conditions aren't right or they get or a little, whatever yeah yeah you know they, they're not coming just to run you know oh i just want to run a marathon it's like hey i'm there to run fast and if i'm not ready to run fast i'm going to punt till to next year so um so yeah. that's another kind of interesting thing about our race that's interesting can people defer to the next year uh, or they, <laughs> we did for many many years had deferral program uh, our way to kind of manage uh you know covid and the pandemic was we allowed uh, everybody that registered in 2020, we gave them a three-year deferral window where they could come back in 2021, 2022, or 2023. Wow. So as we get through that and move those 2020 runners, we we suspended deferrals just so we could get all those runners through. Um, and then after 2023, we will bring that deferral program back again. Um, so uh, right now we're just kind of working our way through those vouchers from 2020. Right. If somebody is looking to register for 2023, how quickly should they do? How quickly did you sell out and how quickly should they, um, should they get on pretty it? quick, but, but there's plenty of time. We, we open up the day after the, the race, we, what we call rerun registration. Yeah. Everybody can hop back in for the lowest price that that goes really quick though. That lasts maybe a day or two. Um, and then we actually kind of close registration and we have a period of time in the winter where we're only open for our loyal runners. Um, so we have a loyal runner program. 
and our loyal runners um, who've run 10 years or more have a special window when they can enter. And then we open kind of officially in that early spring, uh, you know, late February, early March. Uh, and then we're open and we usually sell out by midsummer, June or July. So there's a window there between March and, you know, so there's plenty of time to register. If you know this is a race you want to do, there's definitely plenty of time to register. Um, you know, obviously you want to get a better rate. The earlier you register, the better. Um, so, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, we, we, uh, we, um, you know, if people have had us out there on, on their list of, oh, I've always wanted to do that. You know, we'd love to have people. It's, uh, you know, and, and, and we do try to, we try not to be one of these races where, hey, you got to be on the computer at midnight and register and hope you get in the lottery. We try to create as many windows in. If you want to run CIM, we've got a way for you to get in. Uh, even late, we, we have like a charity window that's actually still currently open um, where people can kind of get in uh, and still, and still run our race. So, um, you know, we've tried to, you know, not get to the point where we're in such high demand that, you know, we have to have a lottery and you're not sure you're going to get in and all that kind of stuff. That's great. Well, I'm marking my calendar for March because this is going to be my race in 2023, my fall marathon. I'm, I'm so excited. Like I told you earlier, it's been on my bucket list for a long time. And I'm just, after talking to you, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm committed. I'm going to come out there and, and, and run this race. It sounds like an amazing race. And um, what, just to close it out, what excites you most about the race this year? What are you looking forward to the most? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's going back to what I said before, which is, uh, you know, I still, you know, this is my, uh, let's see, maybe eighth or ninth year as executive director. And every year being out at the start line, um, you know, 10 minutes before the start, is such a, a, a phenomenal, you know, visceral experience, you know, every single year. And I, I kind of don't even think about it until I'm there. And then I'm like, wow, you know, and seeing all those people out there, like I said, and you just kind of can look back from, you know, our prof it, it's, it's really the story of our sport. It's the story of, you know, what the marathon's all about uh, from, you know, the people lined up at the front who are professionals, to the people in between that are kind of these dream chasers that are either trying to qualify for the Olympic trials or, or the Boston marathon, or, you know, they, they've worked so hard for something that is just really personal. There, there's no glory to it. And then to the people in the back that, Hey, these are people who are, you know, trying to change their lives in some way from a health and fitness perspective, or, uh, you know, are running for, you know, a cause or, you know, for a family member that, that passed away or something and, and to see all that in one spot, um, you know, it's just this really good kind of moment of humanity um, that not a lot of people get to experience. And for me to be able to stand there and look back and see all that, it's really cool. And it's really about what our sport is all about. And um, I think CIM encompasses that at a pretty high level, more than maybe any other race out there because of all those different pockets are so well rep represented at our at our event. You know, we're the number one Boston qualifier in the country. Uh, so that means 30% of our runners that are there, you know, qualify for Boston, which is crazy, um, which means that there's probably about closer to half of the race that's at least trying to qualify for Boston. So when you start thinking about half the runners there are really performance focused runners, that's really pretty crazy. When you think about a major marathon, um, you know, there are very few other races like that. Um, but then you still have the professional runners and you still have kind of those community uh, fun runners out there too. And it's, it's just a really, really neat uh, uh, event. And I, and I love standing on that start line every year and seeing that, uh, so that that gets me excited and all the work that we put in in the fall, that all kind of comes through. I think a lot of people focus on the finish line as this great, you know, source of inspiration. But for me, it's that start line.
That's great. The culmination of a lot, a lot of hard work. I know. What time mm-hmm. do you wake up on race morning? What time are you up? Uh, I, I don't think I really wake sleep, up. I, you right? know, it's just kind you of just, one of these blurs that goes through. I, I get like very limited kind of quick sleep that I mean, you're not, you know how it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the same as runners. You know right. how that you're night like before edge, a race, that, you're yeah. like, I didn't, I didn't really sleep. I was kind of in and out of sleep and, uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, you're nervous and your jitters are going. It's, it's the exact same sleep for the race directors, uh, even you know, after many years, of yes, even after many years. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, no, it's, it's, we're right there with you guys, uh, you know, with the runners themselves, we're going through the same stuff in terms of the preparation, our preparation is different, but everybody we're all kind of, that's why that start line is so special because it's, we've all been working hard for months to get to this point. And then now, you know, it kind of begins and you just kind of let go of, of your anxieties and, and, and just kind of, uh, let it all happen. And, and, um, I think that moment at the start is, is, is really kind of, uh, that, that we're, we're all in this together moment and it's, it's pretty cool. And even last, last year it was so special because it was being back and being able to do that. And you realize how much you'd missed those opportunities to kind of be in environments like that. So I think that really hit home, uh, when I was standing out there at the start line in 2021. Well, spoken as a true runner. And so it's very evident that the, the really the, the impetus behind all of this is from for the runners, from you know, by runners. You get it. Um, so it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Like I said, you've got me psyched up. I'm going to I'm going to put this on my calendar and hopefully Julie and I will both be out there uh, next December and get to meet you in person. Um, in the meantime, you know, if you're out here on the East Coast in the D.C. area, let us know. But thank you so much for spending time. Yeah. With I know the next no, few weeks are really busy for you. And real quick, thank you to what you guys do. It's the same. I mean, what you guys are doing is the same thing that we're doing. It's that commitment to to making our sport great. And it takes people like you guys, the work you guys do at the grassroots level to help runners and work with them. Um, it's 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 why our sport is so, so special is is the commitment of people, you know, like like you, that you guys do this podcast, your coaching it's it's really great and um and i think it's just we're all kind of chopped from the same cloth and it's why we love what we do and it's why the people listening love it so much uh it's the tireless work that you guys do so i appreciate all you guys do for the sport uh because it's it's one of those things you know that that really makes makes it makes it great makes it fun to be a part of well thank you and like you said this is a it's an amazing community and it's so neat that we can be on the same stage as the very best to the people like you said are just trying to do something for their health and we've all got those personal goals so uh and like you said the start line is a is a celebration of of that so um thank you so much uh good luck with the rest of planning and hopefully we will see you uh in in december 2023 yep thank you very much yep 100 percent. we'll see you all right Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.